All right, you have a Bible, why don't you turn to the book of Philemon, one little chapter. Um, before Hebrews there. And um, the message is entitled, Paul's Thankfulness for Philemon. Um, Paul began his letter, as you can see there in our text, it's only one chapter, to Philemon, with um, a loving greeting. And he moves on to express his prayerful appreciation of Philemon's loving example as a Christian, uh, which is characterized by three things from verse 4 down to 7. Let me read here. He says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledging, acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Paul expresses his prayerful thanks and appreciation of Philemon um, due to his example of love towards those in the community of God's redeemed, which is marked by the following. First, in verse 4 and 5, we have the prayer of thanksgiving regarding the example of Philemon. Then in verse 6, we have the purpose of the prayer regarding the example of Philemon. And in verse 7, you have the personal pleasure over the example of Philemon. As you know, this little book speaks about Philemon, who was a very wealthy man. The following verses will reveal all that. And Onesimus is a runaway slave, which he will get to later on. And he uh, stole from uh, Philemon and left to Rome. And what are the chances that Onesimus runs into Paul, who is in Rome, in prison, and he gets saved? And Epaphroditus, the pastor of Colossae, goes to see Paul, tells about the stuff, and he knows Onesimus, he knows Philemon, and he sends them both back with a letter. Small world. Now, he begins with the prayer of thanksgiving regarding the example of Philemon here in verse 4 and 5. Notice in verse 4, the prayer was declared to God, the Father. I thank my God. The Apostle Paul's response here is, is to God personally. I thank. It's always um, an expression of gratitude as we hear others who express their own thankfulness. And you know when someone is truly thankful and someone who's just going through the motions, there's a big difference. Um, Paul didn't have to have a sacrifice. He didn't have to have a priest. He could go directly to God because he was a born-again Christian now. And that's the beauty of us now. It's not a religion. I don't have to have somebody pray for me. Now I can pray with you. You can pray with me. I can pray for you. You can pray for me. But you can go to the Lord anytime you want. Night or day. Doesn't matter. The personal gratitude is emphatic being placed at the beginning of the sentence. So Paul really is thankful to God for this man, uh, Philemon. And the word thanks um, means uh, to be grateful and appreciative. We get the word eurychris, which we get from the, uh, the communion um, supper of thanksgiving um, with Christ. The apostle understood that all um, that is commendable and good in the believer, in the church, is due to Jesus Christ. Whatever you are allowed to be 
used for, whatever you are used as an instrument for the glory of God, it is for His glory and He's the one that does it through us. And He's the one that is the source of all things. It's easy to become complacent and lethargic and all of a sudden thinking that we are the ones and the source of all things and it has, it's the greatest deception of all. And certainly it's easy to forget where we've come from. And so we are always in the Word of God and we remember where God took us from. It's so easy to forget again um, to be grateful for what God has done in our lives and the lives of others. And uh, pretty soon we start, we're more grateful for the men and the women rather than what God does through the men and the women. And we start pointing to the person that they're so much better than us or they have a greater advantage than us or that somehow they are in a closer relationship to God than us. And really, you can have as close relationship as you want because everyone has the right and exact same access to God through Jesus Christ. So it's up to us. Notice the apostles' um, relation to God was intimate. He calls it my God. Um, identifying his own possession his own privilege, not one of the many pagan gods, but the one true creator and redeemer and savior of the world that he has access to. As a Jew, he went through the priest through sacrifice before. Now he had direct access again. Um, if you remember, Paul was arrested on the road to Damascus, and, and there uh, he said to the Lord, what would you have your servant to do, Lord? Um, directly to him and he never ever depended on the priests of the old testament or there in jerusalem or anything ever ever again and notice the prayer was described as um constant for philemon I'm making mention for you always in my prayers and the apostle paul uh, was always uh, thanking God for Philemon. He must have been an incredible man. There are people in your life and mine that come to our mind at times and all that they've done and what examples they've been, and we thank God for them. Um, the word always means at all times that he prayed. It doesn't mean that he prayed all the time for him. It means every time he went to prayer, the Lord brought him to his mind, and he prayed. And this God does through our lives at different times as we look to our lives, the different people we've prayed for, the situations, sometimes in family situations, sometimes in crisis, sometimes in trouble, whatever it may be. And we see God answer and we keep moving in our life, continue to do the same thing and whatever comes next on the list. Um, the phrase making mention is the present tense confirming that he was doing what he had done. In the past, so he just keeps doing what he did, and he would continue to do it in the future. Uh, that's what Christians do. We look to the Lord, we depend on the Lord, we thank God for people, we, we, we look directly to him. Um, the word prayer here, um, that he says in my prayers, is used for prayer in general, but always in reference to God, not to man. So Paul is being very specific that this prayer is to God. There are other words in Scripture for prayer, as you know, intercession, um, there's supplication, and then, of course, here, thanksgiving. So the different categories of manners of prayer. The idea behind is that, that of worship and reverence. Jesus uses this word in uh, Matthew twenty-one thirteen: My house shall be called a house of prayer. This is where people would go to speak to God to meet God, to fellowship with God. 
Uh, it's used in Acts 1.14. They continued in one accord in prayer. This is right um, as they were waiting on the Holy Spirit to come on the church and where 3,000 were added. Look at verse 5. The prayer was due to Philemon's witness as a Christian. Because um, before you're a wealthy person, before you're a popular person, before you're a famous person, you're a Christian. Very important that you never forget that. Hearing of your love and faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. The man Philemon was um, devoted to the Lord Jesus. Paul was constantly hearing about him being a doer of the word. Now this was not done by him. This was not something that he boasted about. This is just what was known. He did what he did as unto the Lord, and the rest took its place. The word hearing uh, is a present participle, a continual durative tense. So this was a manner of lifestyle when the occasion came. The apostle certainly heard some of this information from Onesimus, the runaway slave, as he even confessed his own theft and running away. And also of Epaphras, who was the pastor of Colossae, that he's mentioned in verse 23, and also in Colossians 1, 7 and 4, 12, the pastor who had come to Paul from Rome to tell him about the heresy there in Colossae. Now, Paul was hearing the particulars about his love and faith towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. You can't disconnect the two. They're tied together. Some see the order of this verse in what is called a chiastic form from the word chi in the Greek, an X, creating a crisscross balance often in Hebrew poetry. Some of you were with us when we studied the poetical books. Uh, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, like that. You have a lot of that stuff going on. And the word faith, or the word love first here, agape, identifies Philemon's divine love for the saints. And the word faith identifies Philemon's living out the truth uh, in faithfulness. Uh, the two are tied together. Now, others see both love and faith referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Alensky, the Greek scholar, says the fact that the word your is placed before the noun love, it is to be applied to both love and faith being a relative clause. He further points out that the use of two different Greek words, and they're the ones that we have here, though they're translated towards, they're two different Greek words. He says, make it clear that towards the Lord refers to Philemon's faith and towards all the saints to Philemon's love. So the Greek and the grammar makes it very clear, while in our English text, it sometimes is ambiguous. So I thank God that he didn't write the Bible in Spanish, English, Chinese, but in Greek. It's a very rich language. Now notice, the man Philemon was living out his faith and devotion to the Lord Jesus. This is an important point. Straight to the Lord, the vertical, again, the word towards our prose that means to regards to or for Jesus. Um, the word prose could even be translated facing, indicating before him. He lived out his life of fidelity to and for Jesus, his Savior, denying and withholding nothing. 
realizing everything is his, everything that you and I possess. Yes, you may have worked hard. You may have been a good, faithful steward. You've made good decisions. You have good advice. But the bottom line is God has given to you everything that you possess and everything you have. Um, if we lose sight of that, then we lose everything altogether. We start functioning on our own ability, our own wisdom, and, and our own capabilities, which will always leave us bankrupt, both materially and spiritually. Now notice, the man Philemon was manifesting his love and devotion to the family of God. Philemon's devotion to Jesus was carried over to the children of Jesus. Um, when you're married, you love your family, and you do things for your family that you don't do for others. The first one will come to your mind is your family, not others. Others are not excluded. They're a carryover from the family to good friends and everything, but there's a priority in the chain of command. Um, the vertical axis is always the key to be effective in the horizontal plane, always. And so each of us have to have that right relationship with God so that we're right and we are direct, being directed by him, as we'll see, and not simply by our own goodness or our own thoughts and other people's promptings or whatever it may be. Um, notice Philemon displayed his love um, to all the saints here. The benevolence of Philemon was not at occasional times, but rather one of practice in, um, with widespread. So in other words, because of his person, his position, and his resources, he felt much more compelled to be able to do so much more based on his ability in what God has bequeathed to him. So everybody's on different levels. God never asks of you to do something he has not enabled you or imparted you to be able to do. He always asks you to do in proportion to what he has done for you, in you, and through you, and imparted to you. And that's very important. The word towards now is a different word from the previous one, and it means among, or for, or on. So he's bequeathing these things and giving these things and imparting these things to those of the family of God. As God is directing them, we're going to see this. This is important. There was no pressure by the apostles. There was no church council that oversaw him and directed him and commanded him. And, and this is not spreading the wealth. Okay? The Bible knows nothing of spreading wealth. Okay? That's theft. You have all the right to give all the money you want away. But no one has a right to tell you to give it. That is theft. God says it comes from your heart because you love people. And you do it as unto the Lord. That's an important difference. I think the parable of the Good Samaritan exposing the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees speaks for itself. Well, that Samaritan that had compassion. And he took of what he had and he imparted. And he says, and if you need something else, when I come back, I will pay the balance. Um, he did it as unto God and he did it towards someone else. Not even expecting any repayment of it. What an incredible privilege we have to be one with God by a personal and intimate relationship through repentance. Trusting the atoning work of Jesus Christ. 
having been forgiven of all our sins and been made new creatures, able to have access to God the Father as his children in the name of Jesus Christ. That in itself makes us wealthy beyond means. That as everybody's trying to figure out why we're here to be or not to be, is the uh, creation a days, are they millennials, are they days, are they, they're still trying to figure that out, that you as a child of God say, God created the world in six days and the Ten Commandments confirmed there were 24-hour days because when we're to rest, we don't rest for a thousand years, we rest for a day. Simple. The New Testament gives you the interpretation also. One day, 24 hours. All these callers trying to figure out what day means. It is incredible. Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God, John 20, 28. That is the riches of God's grace towards you and me. That you can say, My Lord and my God. And that you are responsible to God directly. You're not responsible to your pastor for him to tell you what to do, how much to do. That's between you and God. All of us should um, give thanks to God for those Christians who have demonstrated their love for Jesus and their lifestyle as we have walked with God, whatever the length of time, 20, 30, 40. And we've seen so many who love the Lord, were good examples to us who know the Word of God, took time to study the Word of God. Not just go to church, but we saw them in their lives. They opened the Bible at home, spent two, three hours, whatever, taking a book, learning themselves. And, you know, they, 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 they got into the trenches themselves with the Word of God and grew. Those who were involved in ministry as instruments of God, not simply just sitting or just coming, but being the church. Those who uh, counted the cost and the price by their faith, um, of their family and friends that um, turned their back on them for accepting Christ. And they were faithful. I know a young woman who um, was ready to get married. And, um, and, and her husband-to-be was a non-believer. And she cut it off. Cut it off. Wow. Very few have I seen do that in the 42 years of my life. And it cost her a lot. And her obedience to Christ has cost her. And what an example those people are to us. Job thirteen fifteen says, Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. You know the story of Job. Everybody was sure Job was in sin. <laughs> he was not. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything. Now, we don't give thanks, God, for everything, but in everything. In other words, we know God is sovereign. We don't hear of our child being run over a car. Oh, praise God. No, we don't. That's being morbid. That's not what we're talking about. But we know we can trust God for the difficulty things of life, knowing that if we're walking with him, he's going to direct us, he's going to guide us, he's going to glorify himself in spite of the difficulty or the suffering, whatever it may be. Equally, all of us should give thanks to God for those Christians who demonstrate their love for Jesus by their loving help to those who are in need. The motive behind the help is always agape love. 
If you and I are motivated for anything else, then we've got our reward. We get nothing from God. The act of helping should come from the prompting of the Lord, not people. You need to act on what God tells you to do. Not your pastor, not the elder, not anybody else, but God directs and tells you what to do in helping other people. The helper assistance should be done without bringing attention to oneself, making the person uncomfortable or to feel indebted. You have to be careful of that. In other words, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Just dropping an envelope in their mailbox with no name, no address, no nothing. Don't go up when you're here at church and that person's talking to somebody else, to a group of people, and you go up, Brother or sister, God told me to give you $10. I know you need it. Lord bless you. Bye. What a Pharisee. You put the person on the spot, everything else. And you think it's far-fetched? Mm-mm. People are people. Listen to Matthew 6, 1. It says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his words are done in the meekness of wisdom, James 3.13. Nonchalant. As unto the Lord. No big deal. In fact, you will get more blessing knowing that you've obeyed the Lord. And when the person receives that benevolence that God has directed, it will be an answer to their prayer. So God works on two ends and ties them together. It's real simple. The prayer of thanksgiving regarded the example of Philemon's love and faith as a witness. And that's what you and I are. To those that are looking on, those that are questioning, those that are examining. Notice verse 6, the purpose of the prayer regarding the example of Philemon is given to us. The Apostle Paul was praying that the witness of Philemon have the proper impact. Listen to his words, that the sharing of your faith may become effective. Paul here prayed that the witness of Philemon continue. The word sharing there, koinonia, means fellowship, participation, contribution, or distribution. It's a rich word. It is used for the four things that were practiced in the early church, Acts 4.2, for doctrine, fellowship, koinonia. Then there's breaking of bread and prayers. In 1 Corinthians 1.9, it's used for the fellowship of the Son we have been called to. We've been called to that koinonia, fellowship with Jesus Christ, that vertical access. In communication and the unity of love in the Holy Spirit, that koinonia, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, it also implies the involvement in the lives of God's people, the vertical with the horizontal. You can't separate the head from the body. They both are one, but the head is the one that's directing and doing all these things to the many parts of the body. Notice the context involves both the material and the spiritual. It is um, practical by meeting material as well as spiritual 
needs. And verse 6 is very clear on this and implied. And as you move on, it's very evident. Even by the things that Paul says, by, by the way, if he, has, if he owes you anything, put it on my account. That means he ripped them off for some stuff. <laughs> okay? It is when word and deed become one. People at times just are looking for material help when they come to church. So all of us need to be aware of that. We've talked about this often through the years that we've been together. Others demand that you have to help them as a Christian. Sometimes by Christians, they say, are, they are. And sometimes by non-believers. No, you are not forced to help anybody. Nobody can command you to help them. Your pastor is not the one to tell you what to give, whether it be to the church or to anybody else. Never. When your pastor, elder, or anybody starts telling you you should give X amount of dollars, get up and walk out. That's not God. God loves a hilarious giver. If you can't give hilarious, please do not pollute our offering. Please. By the way, we don't take an offering. We, we receive an offering. <laughs> we take nothing. It's what God is doing and what he does in us and through us. And through the years, God's the one that gets the glory for everything. To believe that God would give us this building and to allow us to do all that we do and to reach what we do with the medical outreaches, the radio, everything. And that nobody ever pressures anybody and everybody just shows up and has a great time and study the word of God. It's just a mind blower. <laughs> and that's the way you want it. This sharing is related and identified to Philemon's faith, notice. The faith is personal, individual. The word faith is, uh, in this context, identified with Philemon's conviction of the truth of the gospel to be lived out and to, be sh and to share with others. So again, we are not an end in ourselves. We are not the most important, and yet God has made us stewards of all that we have. Um, the potential charge of sharing one's faith is that it will be rejected by uh, unbelief. Not everybody's going to accept what you do as being from God. Not everybody's going to accept what you do as being a motive that is pure. Especially in the world that we live in, everybody's got an agenda. Everybody's got a hook, right? What's in it for me? And when you do something sincerely and devotionally from your heart because you want to do it, people are going, what are you talking about, Willis? There, there's, there's a question there, right? So the, pers the potential of helping and doing works or deeds is that they can simply be taken as kind acts instead of acknowledging the extension of Christ's love through the gospel. Now, the non-believer cannot understand that what you're doing, you're doing for the glory of God, and we don't expect them to. But God will use sometimes those platforms and opportunities to be able to minister the gospel. We don't give to be heard. That's manipulating people. We give out of the love of God. And if God opens the door for us to share, we share with all our heart. If the person doesn't want to hear, we don't force it on them. Absolutely not. So it's not a hook. 
Now the apostle, notice, prayed that the witness of Philemon grow and blossom. It's all going on. But to never get to a place where we think we've done enough and we're static and, you know, I think I'll kick back now. This is the goal, that the witness of his faith become effective. The word effective means um, effectual or powerful. One little word, one little deed, one little gesture can make all the difference in the world. You know, I, I see it, and women are more sensitive to this than men. Uh, one time, Judy was, I was, well, I forget where we were, whatever, but this girl there, and she just looked kind of bum, and Judy goes up, yeah, Judy, hi, hi, hey, I like your shoes. She goes, oh, thank you. Made all her day. All her day, she says, you know, I, I really needed that, man, because I've had a bad day up to right now. You know, it's just one little thing. I don't know if she was a Christian or not. She didn't say nothing. But just one little gesture, just one little thing that can make all the difference in the world. And God will open that door sometimes and say, you know, whatever that happened that you may be able to share. You never know. It's used for the effective door open for Paul in Ephesus in 1 Corinthians 16, 19. Is used for the word of God, powerful in Hebrews 4.12. The idea behind the word is that Philemon became more sensitive and wise with the open opportunities to share his faith. We want to grow more. We want to be wiser. We want to be more effective. We never want to get to the place where, yeah, I've got it wired together. You, you don't know anything. I, I'm constantly learning. I will until the day I die. I'll only know how stupid I really am when I get to heaven. <laughs> right now, I think I'm smart. When I get to heaven, I say, man, I was stupid. There's a progression and a growth in the life of every believer, both in sharing his faith and helping in practical things. If you're only a taker, shame on you. You should be the greatest givers in the world as Christians. Again, God directing you, no one else. No one arrives or accomplishes all God has for them until we go home. And I'm sure I have missed out on some things, either by my own neglect, my own um, being caught up in something, whatever it is. But um, God has many things for us to do. Notice the Apostle Paul was uh, praying that Philemon constantly recognize his witness to be the work of Christ through him. This is important. He says, by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you, in Christ. This is the simple principle that safeguards every servant of God. That Philemon, first of all, and always understand clearly that he was the mere instrument of Jesus. Very, very simple principle. The word acknowledgement means precise and complete, thorough knowledge here. Epinosis, the prefix epi, complete, in depth, deep. The failure to see this clearly will cause a man to be lifted up in pride and begin to think highly of himself. 
Second, Philemon was to communicate this clearly to the people that he helped. He was never to allow people to credit him but the Lord. Now, we all understand when people are grateful and appreciative and they say, you know, I really want to thank you. Hey, don't worry about it. You know, and we know when people go overboard. And, but you just you know what? The Lord takes care of it. If you can do something without being recognized, that's better. But whatever you do, it's nonchalant. People come and say, you know, I just, I, hey, the Lord's good. What can I do for you? I just change the conversation. Because you don't want to listen to that stuff too long. Pretty soon, you start going, I'm pretty good. He was never allow people to glory in him, but in Christ Jesus. Very important. But also that Philemon not make any exception at all. He declared of every good thing. The word every means all. The word good, agathos, we've seen it often. It means to be useful, excellent, honorable. All that honors God, all that brings glory to God, all that is directed by him in response to him. He identified the source of all things, which is in you, in Christ Jesus. The man Philemon would be the instrument. The God-man Jesus would be the one responsible for all good things, both lived out and imparted to others. We are the extension, the hands and the feet, the ears of Jesus, each of us. Paul desired that Jesus get all the glory then and only then would the sharing be effective in both the person's life and Philemon's. God wants efficiency on both ends. The instrument that he's going to use and the recipient. So that God gets the glory from the instrument and God gets glory from the recipient who is praying, depending upon God. And I don't understand how all that works out. But I can tell you it does. The way God works, his ways are beyond our finding out. It is incredible. Thank God for that. I think Paul illustrates this perfectly in 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 7. Where he says, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves, your bondservants, for Christ's sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence and power may be of God and not of ourselves. Earthen vessels. We're nothing but crackpots. Who would hide a billion dollars in an earthen vessel? <laughs> Nobody. Yet God has put more than a million dollars in this earthen vessel. His glory, his spirit. Wow. Each of us need to ask the Lord constantly for wisdom to be more effective in our, our living and our witness for him, especially as we see the day approaching and we see the darkness of our nation, the decay of our society, the callousness. 
We must not exalt ourselves above sinners. Very, very important. We must share with them their need of Christ with love and compassion for their lost condition, never forgetting where we came from and realizing that there is nothing that anybody could do to ever merit heaven, so therefore we all are condemned to hell, and therefore comparison is stupidity and self-exaltation, which means absolutely nothing. It's more condemnation than anything else. We must speak to them in words they can understand, not church language, theological words, or... um, uh, Christian, um, Christianese, they call it sometimes. You know, you go up to somebody and say, you know, you are a wretched sinner and God has, by his grace, redeemed and justified you by the expiating blood of Jesus Christ through the atoning grace of loss, all those sacrifices, and therefore you can be the recipients of the glory of God. The guy goes, what the heck are you talking about? but that you can communicate to them. He says, you know, all the stuff that goes on in your life and the failures and the temptations and the failures of the things that you do and the things that you don't want to do, those are all because you have a sin nature. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're fallen back in the Genesis when God created us. And then God sent his son because he loves us and he died for us and he paid the price on the cross. And if we will acknowledge and agree with him, he will forgive us if we call on his name. And he will make us his children and give us a nature to be able to live the life of Christ. This is the offer that God gives you because he loves you. Wow. Simple words. And then your life to back it up and to be available. We must not give up regardless of rejection and the length of time that it takes. It's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to give up on people. I've told you often my friend Joey after 40 years. Yeah, his mom dies and he gets born again in 40 years. Wow. Drop by every once in a while, share with him, his mom. And yet, um, sometimes he wouldn't even come out. He'd be in his room, but I'd be sitting there talking to his mom. He'd listen, I'm sure. And when he came to um, Christ almost three years ago, um, him and uh, Pastor Joseph Elias and myself, we were in the world together and party and everything else and and I know he's in the car with it at first he said I want to thank you guys for never ever giving up on me wow 40 years you have a son a daughter a friend a loved one a mother a father you giving up only two ways and two times you can give up the first when God tells you directly as Jeremiah don't pray for them or I won't talk to you no more. He did that three times with Jeremiah. The other one is when you die. Then you won't have to pray. You'll be in heaven. But don't ever give up. Ever. Ever. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God surpass all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. All those difficult times, all those turmoils, all that tension, all that kind of stuff. That's what prayer is for. Humility will keep the believer useful and safe from pride. Listen, be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on things above, but on associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. 
Romans 12, 16. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, he gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, 5. What a contrast. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he may exalt you in due time. 1 Peter 5, 6. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16. We have so much instruction, so much admonishment, so much encouragement in the scriptures. Pride has been the downfall of so many Christians, um, leaders and believers. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment, Psalm 73, 6 says. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Proverbs 8.13. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 11.2. The pride, by pride comes nothing but strife. But with the well-advised is wisdom. Proverbs 13.10. In the mouth of a fool is the rod of pride. But the lips of the wise will preserve them. Proverbs 14.3. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eye, the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. First John 2, 16. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians three seventeen. Humility. Pride drives this world. Satan fell because of pride. Second to God in heaven. Not enough. Drew away a third of the angels. So the purpose of the prayer regarded the example of Philemon to be a more effective witness. Always keep growing. Always keep yielding more to the Lord, seeking him. What's next, Lord? What's next on the list? Notice verse 7. You have the personal pleasure over the example of Philemon. The apostle expressed how the benevolent conduct of Philemon had affected them. For we have great joy and consolation in your love. The declaration is not only of himself, but of others. Notice the pronoun we. Certainly included Timothy mentioned in the greeting in verse 1. The others that possibly are included is Epaphras, Mark, Aristarchus and Demas and Luke in verse 23 and 24. By the way, you have Demas there who loved this present world and left the Lord and abandoned Paul. And God used him tremendously. And yet he apostatized. The effect notice is described by two terms. The first is great joy. Pluos charis. Plurals, great, meaning many or much. And charis, the word for grace, that really implies pleasure and delight. The second is consolation. Periclesis, it means to call or come alongside with the idea of comfort. It's the same word that is used for the Holy Spirit. Parallel to come alongside, next to the call, 
uh, paralegal next to a lawyer, paramedic next to a medic, parallel parking next to the curb. Okay? It's all the same thing. Now, the source of this comfort notice of mind and heart is described by the phrase, in your love. The proposition or the preposition here is the word epi. You're familiar with that. The same word described for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts 1.8. It shall be upon you, epi in the Greek. The pronoun yours identifies the person of Philemon as the professor and possessor and imparter of love. He's the one that's doing all this. He's the instrument once again. And it's agape love. It is God's love that he's imparting, not his own. He's merely the instrument. He is yielding to the life of Christ as Christ lives through him. He lives crucified, Galatians 2.20. And then notice the apostle declared the reason for their great joy over Philemon's loving conduct. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. The Christian brethren were benefited. The word saints, as you know, hagios, same word for holy, sanctified. Those who had been born again imparted their forgiveness and their family inheritance by Jesus Christ. The benefit was that of assisting them in some of their needs. As the apostle paints a clear picture as you move through the letter and in other letters. The word heart really means bowels or intestines. It speaks of um, the deepest emotion, the region where all emotions are felt and affect the person. The visceral area. When you're nervous. Or when you laugh so hard you get... (laughs) Your stomach or stuff like it's the visceral area that we're affected in our emotions. The word refresh simply means to cause to permit one to cease from any movement or labor to recover and collect his strength. In other words, to give them some rest from their burden. He imparts to them as God is directing him and opening the doors for him to do to relieve a person from their poverty or their need. Removing that burden that they might be refreshed in the act of kindness. They were burdened down in various ways and Philemon came alongside and by his love and refreshed them by his loving help. Yet he's being the instrument of God. God is the one who's doing it. And yet there's a great benefit being received by the person to whom it's being done to. We're not told any specific thing Philemon did, which is interesting. But people then were not any different than people now. They were aware of it. And I love this because he doesn't give a list. It'd be easy to give a list, right? And that's what we look at all the time. Have you ever thought about Paul's um, testimony that he gives to us? It could have been blood and guts. He just says, you know, I used to imprison. I caused people to blaspheme. I threw some in prison. I even put some to death. I mean, Paul could have written a whole volume on 
what he did to Christians. And we, the New Testament keeps us from all those lists that cause us to boast or to compare ourselves and to exalt ourselves. And they're just in general terms that are instructional for us. The benevolent Christian agent is identified clearly by you, brother. The personal pronoun you refers to Philemon, of course. The identity of Philemon is a brother, Adolphus, born of the same womb, the same as Paul, Paul the mighty apostle, Philemon the wealthy man who is just being used by God. And then you have here Onesimus, the the slave who ran away, who is a thief. Now redeemed. All now in the same family. All having their part to play in the body of Christ the church. Wow. Philemon, like everyone else that he helped, was saved by the grace of God. He, like those he held, had been accepted into the family of God through repentance. He knew all that he was and all that he had had been given to him by the Lord. And this is something that you and I have to be very conscious of as we move through our life from day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, success, failure, abundance, need, whatever the situation may be. Third John 1, 4 illustrates this last point vividly. Listen. John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. If you're a parent, you know exactly what this means. You feel it in your gut. <laughs> Where it affects you the most. Because when your child is wayward, your child is making stupid decisions, when your child has put themselves in a very uh, precarious situation, brought consequence on them, it affects you because you love them. You can't get away from it. What a great joy and encouragement we have as your pastors here at Calvary Chapel. When we hear of the benevolent work that so many of you do and have done towards those in the body of Christ. And not just for here, for other places. What a joy it is. When someone is in need of a ride, you're there. When someone's going through an illness or something, you're there. There are women who fix food for people when they find out they're ill. They come from the hospital. No one tells them to do it. No one, you know, it's just, things get done. When someone is in need of food or other material things, things get taken care of. I commend you for that. There is no pressure. There is no prodding. There is no raising of the hand. By the way, I did this for this guy this week. But it's just done. It's taken care of. Just as we are example to our children and our grandchildren and others, when we love them, we do things for them. They 
you know, they're busy and they don't have time to do something, you know, and you go mow their lawn or you help them do this or you do this and you do that and, oh, you don't have to do that. I, I know I don't have to do that. I want to do that. That's the attitude here. That's what we're talking about. And when you love someone, you can't do enough for them. And you never do it to be seen or to be applauded or to be congratulated or to be repaid. That's not the point. That's not the goal. There is no one example that is not used by God for good. There is no one exempt from helping others. All are to do so according to the ability and the direction of God. That's very important. According to the ability God gives you, you can't go beyond your ability, but you can work within your ability. And that God is the one that directs you. Not your pastor, not the elders, not your husband, not your wife, not anybody else. But that God directs you to do what you do. That makes all the difference in the world. James 2, 14 through 26, James tells us that our faith should be evident of our works. Otherwise, our faith is dead. 2, 14 through 26. For you have compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Hebrews 10, 24. Finally, all you, uh, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love is... Brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, First Peter 3.8. Moreover, brethren, we have known, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the church of Macedonia, that in great trial of affliction and abundance of joy, their deep poverty abundance the rich of your liberality, Second Corinthians 8.1-2. As you know, they were in poverty. Macedonians and, and Paul didn't want to take money from them for the collection of the saints. They said, come on, they gave us our Messiah, the scriptures. You've got to give them at least a little bit of what we have. And they're used as a catalyst to reprove the Corinthians to give the money that they promised a year ago for the poor saints. Wow. There are always those dangers of those people who take advantage and there's warnings in the scripture completely. Listen to Second Thessalonians 3, 11 through 15. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, not because they can, but they wouldn't, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through the Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our Lord or the word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed, yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So there you have the balance. You keep doing what you're doing. You're careful knowing people are always there to take advantage, but you don't let that discourage you and you just keep being used of God. Very, very important. Paul gives many different things. You can read it on your own in First Timothy 5 
8 through 16, he speaks about the requirements for help financially for those who are widows and indeed those who are under 60 years of age, those who are below 60 years of age, and they have to have requirements, certain things, and sometimes they want help from the church. And then, you know, they're widows, they're young, then a handsome guy comes by, he sweeps them off their feet, they're gone, and now they're not there for Christ, and Paul says, don't do that. Be a good steward. Let the families take care of those who have ability to do so. So the church is not burdened. They can take care of those who really have need. And so he gives the whole line of compassion and giving and everything else. So the personal pleasure over the example of Philemon was for his relief um, of the saints as a loving witness. What a joy it gave to Paul. Again, he was familiar with this man who had this slave who ran away. It all came together in Rome. He's writing the epistle, sending the epistle with Epaphras along with Onesimus that he might receive him now as a brother in Christ. Wow. Amazing. So Paul expressed his prayerful appreciation of Philemon's loving example of a Christian. The prayer of thanksgiving regarded the example of Philemon's love and faith as a witness. The purpose of the prayer regarded the example of Philemon to be a more effective witness. And the personal pleasure over the example of Philemon was for his relief of the saints as a loving witness. Mighty little letter. One runaway slave. <laughs> One wealthy servant of God. And you've got the Apostle Paul right in the middle in jail. He puts it all together. Wow. Lord, thank you for your grace and love, your goodness. Deal with our hearts and thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace over our life, how you've used so many here and how you work through them and you alone know and that's all that matters. And we thank you for that, Lord. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Right where you sit or over the internet or maybe you're listening over the radio, you can accept Christ right now. If you believe you're a sinner agreeing with God that he died for your sins, you can call upon him right now. This is your prayer of repentance, and he will save you. Father, I ask you to come and save me even now. Give me a brand new heart. Forgive me for all my sins. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.